quick glass of water. <laughs> stop, stop shaking your head. You hate me drinking water Terrible. or anything. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. This week we are joined by a former Formula One racer and currently the Mercedes F1 test and reserve driver. He's also had spells in IndyCar and Formula E. Esteban Gutierrez has had an incredibly successful career working for some of the biggest teams in motorsport but isn't without his fair share of tough times too. He chats candidly about his time in F1 and where he sees himself going in the future. He's a man to watch, that's for sure. Thank you so much to you guys who continue to download and listen. If you like it, please do leave us a review. It really helps us get bigger and enjoy. Welcome to episode 33 of the Motormouth podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I have to whiz across to Essex to welcome a man who stands an impressive six foot five. And did you know that statistically... Tall people make $789 more each year per extra inch than the average man. Did you also know that our height fluctuates throughout the day? We're one centimeter shorter by the day's end. However, none of this is important. What is important is that my towering co-host of a man is here to dive into the life our esteemed guest, Harry Benjamin. How are you? I'm very well, Tim. I'm yet to see this extra money uh, per year or whatever it is. So uh, hopefully that will come into the bank sooner. But, You're not uh, working hard enough, later, clearly. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm all good. It's it's nice that, you know, even lockdown, well, lockdown sort of isn't, I don't know, it's kind of easing, but also it's not very confusing. Yeah. Um, so I'm just staying put in my cupboard and that's the safest place. Um, good so, idea. Yeah, no, I'm all good. How are you on your end? Are you managing uh, baby life? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I mean, as you know, I have two chaotic boys and the girl, the new arrival, the girl is an absolute dream. She literally sleeps for 23 hours a day. So um, life is is fine, actually. Um, Yeah. Did you get to watch the Grand Prix at the weekend? I did. I did nothing but watch the Grand Prix. It was great. Uh, I mean, actually, it was a bit boring to begin with, wasn't it? But towards the end, it really livened up. Lando Norris. Hero. He's on for a good season. Everyone's hero at the moment. Yeah, he's doing really well. Well, enough of our rambling. Uh, shall I introduce today's guest? Let's do it. So today we are joined by Esteban Gutierrez, who from an early age started showing potential to race at the top of the sport. He's currently the development driver for the Mercedes-AMG Patronus Most Sport Team, to give it its full name. Uh, he's found his way there through karting, Formula BMW USA in Europe, what was GP2 and GP3, and of course Formula 1 with Sauber, Ferrari, Haas, Mercedes, um, and a little dabble in Formula E and IndyCar. Esteban Gutierrez, it's our pleasure to have you. Welcome to the Motormouth Podcast. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the invitation to to be part uh, to be part of the podca- podcast. Oh, you're very welcome. Oh, no. Cheers, Esteban, for coming on. It's great, great to see you as well. So you're you're you were just telling us you're sort of you're based in uh, in the UK. So how how's lockdown been for you? Have you been over here this whole time? Yes, yes. So basically, we decided to stay here in London because it's where the team is, um, and also you know with a lot of uncertainty. Uh, going on, I I prefer to to stay very close to the team, and you know this is where we have our house, and we enjoy it. Uh, we enjoy it a lot. Um, luckily, I get to have my full my full office with my simulator here at home, so it's been it's been quite useful the the lockdown in a way. 
with your with your Twitch account, which is growing yeah. rather quickly, I've seen. So you, you've been getting involved with the sim racing. How are you enjoying that? Very much. Uh, sim racing was the number one subject when the lockdown started because <laughs> we could not uh, go go and do real racing. So it was all about the sim racing and virtual racing, virtual races. And honestly, the the thing that I enjoyed the most was the interaction with with my followers, with with, with the fans. That's something that I had not experienced before, and honestly, something that that I started to enjoy uh, very quickly. And I see a lot of things that we can certainly learn from from that period, and to apply as well on the on the real life uh, how we interact with with our followers, with with the people that are huge fan of of our sport. It's amazing, isn't it? Because before lockdown, as you say, I mean, virtual sports and esports was sort of, was obviously there, but then suddenly it just blew up. Especially, and I was having this conversation the other day. You know, football players, of course, they can they can play FIFA or whatever, but they're playing with a control. Whereas racing is probably the only sport where you can actually it, it, it's almost a, almost a like for like substitution. Mm. It will never be the real thing, of course, but you can actually have, as you say, uh, a full on rig. C- simulator and and gears and and you've been utilizing that and and now you've got over 10,000 subscribers is that right on twitch yes yes so thank thankful i want to thank all my followers because they've been really nice and uh, and it's great to see the community growing it's incredible yeah no and certainly i mean with with all the the simulators um it did pick up but uh, a lot of people ask me um the question whether esports will continue to maintain its uh, its success and my answer to that is very simple I, I don't think sports is a temporary thing I think it will remain and it will keep its own place uh, in the future of motorsports um, the thing that caused uh, the lockdown was that it the, the exponential growth that we saw in the in the last couple of months but this tendency will definitely continue to the future. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And it, I guess it's not been noticed quite so much over the last, you know, two weeks or so or three weeks as real racing has come back and we're starting to, to focus our attention again on that. But I think there's still that audience, isn't there? E- even though the noise isn't necessarily as loud as it was a, a few weeks ago, there's still that core audience that loves loves their esports. So it's good. And we'll, we'll continue to to follow your uh, exploits on, on Twitch. It's interesting stuff. How are your skills? How are your skills on uh, the simulator? Crap. To, to, <laughs> totally useless. I, I, I haven't, I'm, I'm guilty actually of not doing much of it. I've done a little bit. Um, but I don't own a console, so I need to go and buy a PS4. Isn't is that the latest one? I, I don't even know. Is it's the latest one? Isn't it? And, and, oh, that's bad. And, I don't know that. And the new I've seen because on Harry's um, social media, he posted the other day about receiving the new F1 game, the 2020 oh, yeah. game. So I need to get on board with with having a cracky because when I was younger, I loved it. I just haven't done it. I don't know. Three kids, so I don't good. have time. I have to play with the uh, with a few assists on, but uh, <laughs> I can't. I can't be. I can't be handling braking and changing gears. I can't get my head around that. I don't know how you do it. But uh, um, let's. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to, to esports as well. But let's talk about um, your career from, from the very beginning, Esteban. And obviously, you're from Mexico. Growing up in Mexico, what what was the scene like racing there? And what were your your first steps to becoming a racing driver? My my career was very, very quick from the beginning. Um, I, 
I started in karting when I was 14 years old, very late. Um, and then very quickly went on to Formula BMW in, in the US two years later. And from then I decided to, to go to Europe. That was the, the biggest step to, to decide really because it meant that I had to go quite far away from, uh, from my home. Uh, leave everything behind and go come to Europe to pursue uh, my vision, to pursue my my dream. And it, it, it was really interesting process for me. It made me grow a lot as a person and also as a professional. And the whole experience has just uh, has just been amazing. And I I can only say that I'm very grateful to the things that I've achieved, uh, but also where I am today, um, all the lessons that I that I could learn in very early age, and yeah, it's been it's been a, a crazy ride so far. You you said you started karting at fourteen, which, as you say, is that's that's quite old to start karting. Where, where was the inspiration to start that, and what was there any interest in motorsport before that? How how come it was such a late start? Yes, there was. And the reason why I started late was just because when I was 13, 14 years old, I started my own business and I what? became <laughs> I became very aware of what I had to do to actually uh, get into racing. And so I built up a plan that I presented to my to my parents and it was not easy to convince them. So hold, hold, hang on, hold on a second. That must have been a hell of a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> was PowerPoint around at that age? So, not really, so, not really. I mean, it was something like this. <laughs> so at 13 years old, you started your own business. Yes. What was the business? I was selling racing simulators. Actually. Oh, oh it comes full circle. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. That is that's extraordinary. What the thing is, any no other. I mean, we talk to a lot of obviously racing drivers on this podcast, and and the path is is quite similar from from an early age. You know, you you get karts is often perhaps a, a, a family link, and they get into carts, they get some sponsorship, and they make their way up the ranks. But nowhere, I don't think anybody's ever started their own business and presented a plan at the age of thirteen, knowing <laughs> the difficulties of motorsport. That's incredible. So. So what, how did you get your parents to say, all right, then let's give it a go? They, I, I got them to agree on a plan where I would race for one season and that I would accomplish my dream of being a racing driver and then retire and continue with school. So that was, <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was the original plan. But then of course, um, that was my chance. So when I got up to, um, when I got up uh, and I could finally start racing, I started winning from the beginning and I started doing a lot of pole positions and winning races. So it, it was very hard for my parents to say yeah. no then. And, you know, that was part of my plan. And when you want something, you basically go for it and you achieve it. Very cool start to life in yeah. racing. So when when you got in the karting scene at 14, did you find you had a lot of catching up to do or were you immediately on the pace? I, that never was in my mind. I was very much pushing. I was training a lot. I was going to the track three times a week after school. I was doing massive amount of laps. And the reason why I was doing that was because I wanted to get better, but also because I was enjoying it a lot. 
I was enjoying it so much that I didn't want to stop uh, on the days. So I guess that gave me a lot of experience early days. And the passion just was building up and building up and also my obsession to to become very successful in and, and to reach the, the highest level possible in motorsports. It, it was the goal Formula One or was it, as you say, just as high as you could go or did you have Formula One in your mind? Formula One was always in my mind from, from the beginning. That was my... That was my vision. It was very, it was my drive. And mm. having that target was always uh, very important because it kept me going in the good times but also in the bad times, in the tough times. Um, I, every time I came to my family, cousins, and I was telling them or they were asking about my plans and I was telling them that I wanted to to pursue, to become a racing driver, a professional racing driver in F1, that everybody was laughing at me. And they were saying, yeah, yeah, sure, you will you will continue school and you will go to university. But then a, a couple of years later, uh, they always came back to me and said, oh, we want to come to the races. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, too late, pal, yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, and, and what's the scene like in Mexico? Obviously, there's, you know, there's the race there, there's amazing fans. Um, we, we've got obviously some well-known Mexican racing drivers, but what's it like um, in, in the more grassroots scene? Is there a big karting scene out there? There is not, and there was even less when I started. When I started, we didn't have the race. There was basically, in, in the whole history of F1, there has only been six drivers, six Mexican drivers. And I was, I've been the first one from my city, is one of the biggest cities in Mexico. So there was no no background. There was no school. And basically everything was very raw. And I would say that was very interesting because as I came to Europe, I started to learn so many things that obviously I didn't know. And I was very young as well. And, you know, trying to to catch up with the learning. And everything went so quickly. I mean, I, if you if you count the years, I started karting when I was 14 years old. By the time I was 21, I was in Formula One. Oh, so it's, it's <laughs> ridiculous. Years, it's a spam of seven years that it, it, it was just like a skyrocket. And that gave me um, a big challenge, but as well, a lot of, a lot of learning. Yeah, no, it's incredible. And you, you raced in the US and you've raced in, in Europe. What are the differences between the two? Did you find it was much more competitive in Europe or, or is the scene in the US just as strong? It, it was, it, the, the racing is very different, the, the approach. There is a lot more, I would say, there are a lot more rules in the US when, when it comes to race racing. For example, when you're blocking your position or when, when you're protecting your position or when you're trying to make an overtake, in, in the U.S. is very much respected every move you make. And once you move there, then the other driver needs to let it go, basically. And there is a lot of consciousness around that. At least it was at that time. And I believe it is still now. In Europe, things are much more aggressive. You, you protect, close the door. Uh, you, if you want to make an overtake, you basically go deep into the corner. 
So the racing approach uh, was different, but I would say the competition level was pretty hard at the beginning, and and it was great. I mean, I the first year in Formula BMW, I was fighting with the championship with uh, with Alexander Rossi, with Robert Wickens. Um, it was a very Daniel Morat was also there, and then when I came and I I was second in the championship when I came to Europe on my first year, I I won the championship with. You know, drivers like Marco Wittmann, um, which was a good, very good German driver, my teammate, um, and and yeah, it, it's it was just a different experience, but it was great to change and come to Europe where we have the heart of racing. Yeah, it's just nuts the the rate of progress. I'm just looking at some of your statistics. So, 2007, and correct me if I'm wrong with any of this. At age 16, so you've only just been racing two years. You came, you came, as you say, second in the American Formula BMW Championship, where you ha- you had four wins, and then in two thousand and eight, now seventeen, six consecutive wins in um, the BMW Championship in in Europe, which supported F one, I think, at the time, and you yeah. won and you won the title. So you've only been racing for a handful of years, yet you're beating all these guys that have been karting since they were six, seven years old. It's astounding. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. And was that was that what was getting you noticed then? You know, so young, beating these, you know, big names as well, coming up through the ranks in, in junior form in the UK, because you, you then landed yourself uh, a test drive in, in a Formula One car in 2009. Yes, and that test drive came because I signed a contract with BMW uh, originally. So Mario Tyson, Mario Tyson, who was the team principal of BMW Sauber at that time, he approached me halfway through the championship on my first year. And he proposed me a contract, a long-term contract with the team. And that was very exciting at that time. And when I won the championship, he um, basically offered me um, a test, a Formula One test at the end of, I was at the end of 2000. Oh no, sorry. It was at the end of 2000. So yeah, it was, at that time I had proposals from, from Renault, from Flavio Bratore, I had proposal from um, from Williams. I had a wow. proposal from Red Bull as well, um, and BMW. So I had to choose. Uh, I had to choose the path uh, at that time. And and what made you go with BMW? Well, it was the team that was resurging a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the years when they achieved. Uh, some victories as well as, as you know podiums the project was really well very solid but then of course it was not anticipated that we got the crisis the crisis in 2008 2009 and that's when they decided to pull out mm-hmm. and they decided to pull out just after i maybe six months after i signed my contract with them so yeah before that everything was very solid and very clear going forwards. And moving forward a little bit um, into GP3, or what was then GP3, and and you took part in that series when it was the first time they'd done it. Um, so that first season where cars had, uh, where teams had three cars, um, and we're in 2010 here, and you won that as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was. Um, a very cool, very cool car, um, and very cool year as well because we basically dominated the championship, and it was fun. It was 
to be honest, not a lot of learning because I was basically winning everything. <laughs> <laughs> no need to learn. It's tough. <laughs> um, I, I learned a lot uh, the previous year in 2009 when I did Formula 3 Euro Series. That was very tough. That was challenging. There was a lot of... I had to push. I had to really improve many characteristics from my driving that I was then able to apply in GP3. It was actually very helpful. Uh, and so the you, in 2010, you're in GP3, absolutely dominating. What happened after that, um, after BMW basically announced that they were, were leaving? Were you still able to keep that contract with, with the Sauber part of the team? Because obviously then in 2011, you become the reserve driver. So you must have kept up a, a good relationship with them. And obviously your results proved that you were a very fast driver. It was exactly the same contract I signed with BMW. So Peter, right. Sauber, Peter Sauber decided to continue the same contract. And that contract ran until the end of 2014. So from 2008 to the end of 2014. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and 2013 is your full-time F1 seat. Yeah. After such a fast track to that position, when you had time to stop and breathe... What were the emotions like at that point when you realized you'd, you'd succeeded in doing what you set out to do when you were 14 years old? It was insane, to be honest. I was sitting there and I was thinking, holy, it was, it was just like a very strange feeling because, you know, you keep pursuing a, uh, you know, something and then suddenly you're there very quickly and you look back and you say, wow, it, this was very quick. And... And I have to admit that when I arrived into Formula One, I didn't even have the right structure around me. I arrived in Formula One with no management, with no uh, you know, team behind me, because obviously I had signed this contract with BMW, so it, it ran all the way through. And I achieved the results I had to achieve before getting into Formula One. So everything was on that path. When I arrived in Formula One, I realized that I was missing a lot of support from, from a good team. And very quickly, I, I started to realize that, and that made it really challenging uh, to start off in Formula One. Yeah. And who were the people that you put around you? Did you get yourself a, a commercial manager, a sponsorship manager, and so on? Or you know, did you have a driver coach? What sort of people did you surround yourself with? I started to, to look around my family was involved in a way uh, at that time and it was not very healthy i must i must say and you know all this also the team sauber at that time was in a survival mode it was not very solid they had a lot of financial issues and it was all about surviving so if i would have arrived into a team that was strong solid and performant, it would have been, it would have made things very, let's say, not easy, but it would have put myself in a good position. The fact that I was in a position where I didn't really have a good team, good performant team, and the team was in survival mode, having a lot of issues around, that was very difficult to manage. It was very difficult to manage with having, without having the right people around me to protect. Yeah. Uh, 
my own interests. And I guess as well, from a, a media perspective, it can be challenging. Um, we had Brendan Hartley on here not too long ago, and he was talking about one of the, the you know, the, the tough time that he had um, in Formula One and the, the media really laid into him at points and it became quite unfriendly. How, how did you find the media attention in that first year? Was it a shock to the system or did you just take it in your stride? I was trying to leave the media really... I'm not a I'm not a person that need to have you know this recognition or this um, comfort from the media. I would say I was focusing more on on trying to make things work and my actions to speak for itself to the media. I had a great relationship with with you know personally with everyone. I know that particular people or you know media. Uh, didn't take it very positively and they, you know, went against, but it's, it's nothing new. I mean, they, they do that uh, very often is what, you know, media needs to sell good stories. Yeah. So they try to construct these stories around, around something that, that is challenging and that certainly makes it even more challenging for, for the athlete. But I would say all of that experience really taught me a lot, um, not only for, you know, as a driver, but for life. Yeah. And you were up against Nico Hülkenberg, of course, in 2013. What was he like as a, as a teammate? Obviously quite well established and uh, as a, you know, a, a regular driver, sadly not in Formula One either anymore. But how was he as your sort of first F1 teammate? He was uh, great. It was a great reference. He is a very strong driver, very complete driver, very fast as well. So having him in my first year was was great. I was excited about it because <coughs> because I could have a proper reference to to a driver that was highly rated. So yeah, uh, we got along really well. We had a good season together. Unfortunately, things with him and the team did not work out. And he left after one season. And you carried on in 2014 with Sauber. So how do you look back at your time with Sauber? Because that was your, your final year with them uh, on the racing side of things. How do you look back at your time with Sauber? Obviously tough, but you know what are the standout moments for you? And, and would you have done anything differently? I have no regrets. But I would, with the experience I have today, I would have done things differently, of course. Yeah. And the team was not in a great position. The management of the team wasn't really in a good position either. Um, I didn't have a good experience with, you know, treating with the management of the team, trying to push the team forward. It was just not working out at that time neither 2013 or 2014 and that made it really challenging for me personally although we had those issues I did enjoy a lot of good moments with my team my group of engineers group of mechanics I always tried to keep you know a lot of positive vibe around to to try to push the team but of course when you don't have a management that is pushing on the same direction mm-hmm. as you would like to push the team. It's it's really really tough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then your contract comes to an end, end of twenty fourteen into twenty fifteen. Um, things start happening with Ferrari. How did that come about? 
Um, that was that was a great year because I could see a big team. I could have the perspective of of Ferrari, the mystical Ferrari. Yeah, which is incredible to be part of. The passion around the team is just very special. In all the team, all the people that are part of the team, but also the fans, the tifosis, it, it's just, you know, an incredible feeling. And I was able as well to to work with, with two champions in Sebastian and, and Kimi Raikkonen. And it was it was a great experience overall. And that's when, you know, building up to 2016, I, I got the drive with, with Haas, which was a completely new team. Yeah. And just on the subject of Sebastian Vettel there, what's your take on his position at the moment? How, how do you think he's been treated from a, from a, a team perspective? I, I think that Sebastian is in a very strong position. He is a four-time world champion. <laughs> so when he is in the position where he is now, I'm sure that he, he'll do whatever is good for him. And he doesn't have any obligation to keep, you know, showing or let's say, yeah, putting a statement where, you know, he needs to show his talent. I mean, he is talented. He has been four times world champion and yeah. he is great working with the team. I, I rate him really highly. Um, he's just in, not in a, in a good position right now. And, and he's totally fine. I think we all go through difficult moments, through moments that we don't, really feel that things are connected and I'm sure that he will, you know, restart his, uh, let's say, refresh his, his situation and, and will find a good, a good way to go forwards. Yeah. I think, I think he's, um, I think he's dealt with the whole thing brilliantly because he's, he has had a rough time, but he's kept his cool. He hasn't lost it. He hasn't gone mad at anyone. He hasn't gone into his shell. He's just got on with things. And I think it's, it's a, it's a testament to his, um, growth as a driver and an individual that he's he's dealt with all this criticism so well and you know when you've got someone as good as Charles Leclerc 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 however he likes to pronounce his name um, charging charging up and and often overtaking you it's not an easy thing to deal with but he he seems to have done it very very well and then moving forward um, Haas in 2016 like you say alongside Roman Grosjean take us through that year how was that coming back into a full time F1 seat. That was crazy because <laughs> we were building a team from basically from zero. It was the first year of the team. It was quite an interesting model, a new model that other teams did not try in the past, which is basically, um, or at least in the previous previous years, previous decade. And, and it worked out pretty well in a way, but it, you know, as a team, it was not very strong. It was not very well structured. So it took a bit of time to build things up. And yeah, it was somehow good. In another way, it was very frustrating because I was so close to the point so many times in so many races and there was always something missing. Yeah. And it just, you know, it didn't work out. And, and it, yeah, it, it was... Um, I would say, um, a very frustrating year uh, from that point of view. Just to come back to, to that model that you, you were saying that, you know, F1 teams, the, the most recent year, the, the Caterhams, the, the HRTs, the Marisha, they didn't try this model, which was Haas took a lot of parts that Ferrari were using as well. So there's your, is that how your link came about with them? Is that how 
it, it sort of talks began with Haas. And, and can yes. you explain a bit how that relationship works? Well, I was a Ferrari driver and yeah. Ferrari decided to place me in Haas, which was, uh, which was great from, from, from Ferrari because I was working really hard with them. I've been in the Ferrari family for a long time, racing with Ferrari engines from, mm. from the summer days. So they they knew how how I worked and you know how how things uh, were going. So they decided to give me that seat. And then um, you changed hack and Formula E, which is a subject I love talking about because I still can't make up my mind whether I like it or not. Um, but Formula, really? Why is that? I, I don't know. I just I've tried. Uh, I've watched oh, it a lot. Noise, isn't it? I've watched it a lot on TV, and I get it. And it's brilliant, close racing. But I just, I do struggle a little bit to watch a whole race. Like I can sit down and watch Formula One all day. I love it. I can watch an F1 race from start to finish. And even if it's boring, I still enjoy it. And I just struggle a bit with Formula E and I don't know why. I don't know whether it's the the smaller circuits, the thinner circuits, the cars look kind of bouncy, there's no noise. I don't know. But I'm just not quite there yet. Do you feel the same way with other series like IndyCar? I love IndyCar. I'm a big fan of IndyCar. Um, I just, I don't know, just Formula E, I'm not quite, I'm getting there, uh, and I'm excited about Extreme E, I think that's going to be really cool, and those cars look <laughs> insane, but I've, I don't know, Formula E, I'm just struggling, struggling. See, I'm the complete opposite, I love Formula E, always have done, yeah, it's a bit quiet, but I, I think a bit it's quiet. a great little championship, and it's, and it's more entertaining than Formula One is, and and you got involved with it, with Tachita and uh, Jean-Eric Verne alongside you for a couple of races in uh, 2017 it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, what, what caught your radar for Formula E, what were you thinking about it? Well, Formula E, I had a great relationship with um, with the management of Formula E. So when I left Formula One, they contacted me and they said, okay, you know, we, we want you to come and join Formula E. And at that time, I, I, I wasn't really um, sure that I wanted to make that step because I wanted to give myself some time after, mm. the, after the Formula One years. And basically they came to me and said, look, we have the Mexican E-Prix and we really want to have you there. And one of the reasons why I did it, it's because of, you know, I have a great relationship with the management and I said, look, I want to do it. I will do it because you are asking me, but also because it's the Mexican E-Prix and I want to be able to try it. I want to feel the car, feel the championship. And then, you know, maybe something else will come up. I wanted to try different series in that year. Um, and it was, yeah, the way the way it was done. I mm. started in, in Mexico, Ypres. I did Mexico, Monaco, and Paris. And then I got the call for IndyCar. And I wanted to just try out, see how it feels. And I did six races in IndyCar. I'm not sure which races you did um, that year in IndyCar, but did you did you do? Presumably, you did a few, a couple of ovals. Yes, I did two ovals. Yes. And how was that? Did did you take a spare pair of racing overalls with you? It's a <laughs> fairly terrifying that, experience. That that was an amazing experience. I really enjoyed the ovals much more than what I was expecting. Really. Yes. So did, did did you enjoy IndyCar over Formula E? I enjoy IndyCar a lot. 
Yes, yeah. from from the sporting perspective, it was really impressive. The car is great to drive. The championship is competitive. It's it's quite raw, and mm. you know, as a driver, when you get there, it's really you know, it's really cool. You you get that feeling of monstrous machine, and <laughs> you know, you connect with the car, and it's 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 an incredible experience. And in Formula E. Formula E was great, and I truly believe in the championship. I think it has an amazing future. It's the great platform for OEMs to promote the new electric electric cars. Um, and, you know, the, the guys there have done an incredible job building up the championship with so many, mm. you know, with, with the years they've, they've done it so far. But I wanted to try as well some some things different, and IndyCar gave me that emotion, gave me that that feeling, and it was a great experience to do. And I suppose the good thing was you you were quite handy in those Formula E races and those IndyCar races as well. You know, a few things didn't go your way, but in both championships, you look like you're on for some pretty decent results, considering you were only going in for a few selected races. So how much confidence did you take from that? You know, having left Formula One, diving into these two different, two very different championships and, and you know, coming out with some with some pretty com- pretty good confidence, I imagine. Yes, but I, I must say that from the sporting side, it was great. From the personal side, I was not in a good place. Right, and that's the reason why I then decided to take it some years off, mm-hmm. because I I was not enjoying it uh, as much as I I would like to enjoy racing. I think there were some years that were very um, not very pleasant in in many ways for the reasons that you want to call it. Um, but personally, I said, look, I'm gonna take a couple of years. I wanna you know just. Uh, give myself some time and and that's why I took these years and it's been very very helpful that's interesting I think it's it's so important to do that as well it's great that you were able to to acknowledge that as well and and take those steps so you had a couple of years out and then and then you came back um to sort of formula one and mm. not only you know any formula one team the big dogs mercedes and you join their role roster of drivers so so tell us about um how, how that came about as well because if you look at your your sort of f1 brand cv you've done pretty well you've got sauber ferrari Haas, uh, <laughs> um, mercedes a uh, big formula e indy car championships it's an impressive cv so to join mercedes must have been a pretty big box ticked off your list um it was and i must say that i've learned so much in this yeah. last couple of years, being with with the team, great structure, incredible approach. It's been really, really solid. And the reason why, for me, yes, it was a comeback, but it was also a position that I where where it really gave me the opportunity to not be racing, but kind of be connected to the environment because I love racing. I love Formula One. I love you know the our sport but i really wanted to take another perspective in 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 that sense and when i approached uh, toto 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 wolf <laughs> my boss to see if there was a position in the team 
or I I had to. It took me some time to convince him, and I I was able to to convince him to give me a simulator test first, and then from there um, I you know it was pretty well on the on the simulator test, and then I I within you know when when they decided to take me on board, I was also you know I said look I'm here I'm in the best team in the world of motorsports. I really want to learn everything about the best team. So I got myself involved in the commercial team. Um, I got myself involved a bit on the management, just learning how the team operates, just, you know, exposing myself to, to positions that perhaps I was not very comfortable with, but just as a personal challenge. And and that was great. It's been it's been great this this last couple of years. I've enjoyed them so much. You so you've obviously got a bit of a business brain on you. We know that from your your early years. You've joined Mercedes with um, Toto Wolff, who's um, a famously entrepreneurial businessman. Um, you've exposed yourself to the commercial side of the team, various other elements. Um, if I'm looking into my crystal ball here, it, it's, is there a, is there a, a long-term aspiration to be more than just a racing driver? Do you see yourself in a sort of uh, team principal role or a management role in years to come? Yes, definitely. There is, my interest is, is natural in that sense. I, I enjoy it. I, I love it. And I, you know, as driving for me is, is incredible. And I think I will do it for many years to come. Still, I will come back racing. And I'm targeting to come back racing next season. But eventually, I will definitely pursue a role, a management role or something bigger than, yeah. you know, than, than being a driver. You can definitely feel that with you. And yeah, um, it's, it's, it's it, very, it sounds very, like uh, the direction that, that you should be going in now. Um, I'm going to change tack here, Mr. Gutierrez, because uh, I'm going to yeah. pass you over to my very tall colleague to introduce you to the hardest quiz in motorsport. Harry Benjamin, over to you, my friend. Esteban Gutierrez, welcome to Motormouth. It is the hardest quiz in motorsport. There is a leaderboard stretching all the way down to 25 uh, drivers who have so far taken part in our quiz. Uh, drivers, pundits, broadcasters, you name it. There are 13 points up for grabs. And there are four questions. Um, at the bottom of the leaderboard is Karun Chandok with three and a half points. It was useless. So, He's your man to be. And at the top, at the moment, it is occupied by Martin Plowman, who uh, currently has 13 points, uh, followed by Brendan Hartley and then Guido van der Gaard. So those are your top three people. If we look in mid-table, David Coulthard is around 14th place with 10 points. So let's try and aim there. Right. Is that all understood, Esteban? Not so much. Let's go on with it. <laughs> okay. Number one, I'm going to play you a few clips. And basically, uh, they're about you. And have a listen to them. And then I'm going to ask you some questions. So let's play clip number one. Pay attention. It's very quick. Here it comes. Is he okay? That's it. That's, that's all you get. Uh, now, the question is... Um, it's you. I'm going to give you that. You, you, you come over the radio there. But what are you talking about? I'm talking about Fernando. Absolutely. And where? What track are you at? In Australia. In Australia. 
Boom. That is three out of three. And that was a huge crash as well. So it was great to see you yeah. both walk away from that. Um, but it gets you three points on our leaderboard. So it's a very strong start. Let's have clip number two, please. Have a listen to this. Here it comes. Whoa, what was that? Another short one. What's going on there? That's in Bahrain with Pastor Maldonado in 2014. Oh. You've nailed it. You've absolutely nailed it. That is three out of three. Those are both quite memorable events, though, so you'd expect those him to get those. Quite memorable. And normally I do a lot of my research on YouTube, and, and those are the only clips that are available of US events. <laughs> <laughs> that and this one, number three. Have a listen to this. Very, very happy. I'm very excited to, to drive and to get to know uh, my cars because we have two cars, something I never had before. Oh, we might have him here. Now, what are you talking about there? Oh, oh. got him. <laughs> Concentration got on your him. face. Wow. <laughs> Do you want to have another listen? Yeah. Okay, here it comes. Very, very happy. I'm very excited to, to drive and to get to know uh, my cars because we have two cars, something I never had before. We have two cars. Mm. Mm. He's confused wow. himself. His past self has confused his current self. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't remember that one. <laughs> no, no, I'll give you a clue. So it's a racing championship that you participated in. Now, how many of those are ones that you have two cars in? Ah, Formula E. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Right, okay, call back some points here. I'm going to give you half a point for talking about Formula E because we basically gave it to you. Um, what track are you at there speaking? Any guesses? That must have been Mexico. Boom. And the year? Ah. That was in 2017. Yeah, just had to be quick, just had to be sure. Two and a half on that one. It's looking good, Esteban. It's looking good for at least the top five. Okay, two more questions for you. Question number four. How many points are Mercedes currently on after the first two F1 races? I never no. look at the championship points. Uh, get your excuses in. <laughs> it's not excuses, it's the truth. Have a, have a, I'll give you uh, three points either side, if you can give me a number. Well, that must be around, let me just... Do, do the maths. <laughs> uh, I need to check the answer. <laughs> Must be around 80. Boom, he's got it. <gasps> no he's way. Maths right there. Quick maths. <laughs> okay, right. For a bonus point, here's your final question. What year was the first Mexican Grand Prix? Tough one. Uh, it was... 86. Oh, oh, way off. I'm afraid that is incorrect. I was looking for 1963. Still, strong showing. 63. It goes back to 63. Wow. In fact, and that, was, that was when it was an official race. They had an unofficial championship race in 1962. Oh, good research, Harry. Good research. Well, knowledge. Right. Well, anyway, that is uh, a pretty sterling effort. Let me just do my math. So that's one more round of applause. It's done pretty well there. That's got to be a top 10 finish. <laughs> All right, Esteban Gutierrez, you've come in. Now, it is a very competitive leaderboard, and mm. uh, uh, you, you peaked too early, perhaps. You've achieved 
nine points out of 13, which is very respectable, but it does put you down, I'm afraid, in 18th position. Oh, God. Just after Freddie Hunt and above and a drawing even with uh, Thierry and Neuville. So... Uh, so pretty, pretty good names to be around. But unfortunately, those last couple of drop points does drop you down a bit. But a very respectable score, Esteban Gutierrez. Well done. Thank you for playing the hardest quiz in motorsports. Oh. <laughs> One final round of applause. It was a good effort. It was, it, was, it was a decent showing. You should not be ashamed of yourself at all. And there is the highlight of your career I know to date. Now, listen. Um, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed. I'm disappointed with myself. Yeah. <laughs> you've let yourself down. You've let your fans down. Not a good showing. Quick disclaimer here. Don't usually do this, but I really, really buggered up the maths on this one. So Esteban didn't get nine points. He actually got 11 and a half because I forgot to count that final uh, question about the constructors points for Mercedes as three points. So actually Esteban got 11 and a half points, which puts him uh, eighth on the leaderboard. So well done. But just thought I'd put that quick disclaimer in. Don't shoot me. I'm dyslexic with numbers. Okay, back to it. Oh, um, so I'm curious what, what you've raced in a number of different things um, is there anything out there currently or in the future that you'd like to try outside of it, all the, the championships that you've done already yes um, I definitely would like to do Le Mans I would like to do Daytona and this is maybe not something that <laughs> I don't know if it will be true or not, but uh, I would like uh, I like rally a lot. Yeah, oh. I've only done it once, and it was very successful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, wow. why not? Surprisingly, uh, yeah. Where did you wh- Where did you do it before? I did it this year, beginning of this year, in uh, in an event we had with with Mercedes with the team, and it was Toto driving. It was Valtteri <laughs> driving. And I beat them both. <laughs> hey. I, was, I, was, I was quite proud of that moment because uh, it was I, my first time on a rally car. So <laughs> I bet. What a show. That's quite impressive. Because rally. ra- rallying is, that. they're all completely mad. We had Thierry Nouvelle on here and um, we watched some of his footage before he came on the podcast. It's just, it's mental. Oh, ridiculous. Big respect. Yeah. Big respect mm. for those guys. Yes. Yeah. Unbelievable. And it's really enjoyable as well. Yeah, oh, well, we'll look forward to seeing you in a World Rally Championship soon then. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a fun one. Um, now, you, you've, you've, you've been out of Formula 1 for a little bit, but now you're back in it as the reserve driver for Mercedes. Um, and actually, we, we see a lot of um, people confirmed as reserve drivers and the likelihood of them ever stepping into the race is, is often quite small. But actually, because obviously... 1.4%. One point four percent. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I'm assuming that when God, you sign to be a reserve driver, you never, you know, there, there is that hope, but perhaps you, you kind of know that it's probably not going to happen that you're going to race for the team. But we live in these very unprecedented times right now. Are you the first port of call, or are you in, in a pool? Are, are you sort of have you been warned? You know, make sure you're fit and ready just in case. That's my responsibility, regardless of the situation. So right. I am, I am ready, and I'm fit to to jump in if, if it's necessary. Mm. And the only thing that changed was the probability. The probability increased to more than five percent. So yeah. um, I honestly, I don't wish anything bad to happen to anyone, to any of the drivers. Of course, and that is not the case. I mean, 
coming as a reserve driver, it's 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 a position that gives you the responsibility to be ready in case you need to jump, but it's not something that it keeps in your mind like, okay, I will get my chance to drive. Yeah. Right? You need to put yourself in a position as if you were driving already, and you need to prepare around that as if you were driving. And if it comes, it comes. And mm. if, if it doesn't, it's... Uh, in a way, it is frustrating to be not driving and be there, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, so that, that sort of leads me on to my next question. Ha, has Formula One changed much since, you know, you were racing in it to, to how it is now? Yes, massively. Mm-hmm. It has changed much. Um, well, we had we had Bernie Eccleston before. Now we have Liberty Media. Yeah. It's a historic transition in F1. And the way things are right now with the technology we have with social media being the number one thing it has it it has transformed formula one in a good way i think there's one um burning question um that i want to ask is uh, is do you drink tequila <laughs> <laughs> very very few times what i do <laughs> yeah, well, it only needs one or two, and then you're on the floor. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> uh, and and are you? You're clearly good at business. You're a very quick racing driver. What are you rubbish at? What's what are you totally useless at? <laughs> I'm useless as, at, at so many things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, believe it. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm I'm useless at. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I it's. I mean, I like, I'm useless at football, actually. Oh, interesting. Yes, yeah. I'm useless at football. But do you enjoy it? Do you like playing? You're just crap at it. I don't enjoy it because I'm not at that level where you, it's enough, enough good to enjoy it. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and if you're crap I, at something, you're never going to enjoy it, are you? <laughs> to be honest, the only reason why, why I'm not good at it is because I, I have not invested time on it mm. to, to really practice and and get get my skills better. I've invested more more time into extreme sports. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I don't blame you. Um, okay, one more quick one before we, we go to our final three. Perhaps do you have a best pal, or have you had a best pal in the racing fraternity? Yes, Jules Bianchi. Oh. Yeah, Jules Bianchi was great teammate. Really fun. Really fun years together we had. Yeah, but and yeah. he's sorely missed from. Uh, he There's is. no doubt he'd be doing amazing things right now in uh, yes, Formula One. He was one, so sure. talented. Oh, yeah, he talented and um, also uh, funny, charismatic guy. Yeah, well, a future world champion for sure, wasn't he? I mean, it, it was yeah. such an awful thing, and um, I was I was quite involved with Marusha um, back in those days, and and was relatively close to the whole thing as well, and it, it just de- devastating. And um, like Harry says, um, sorely missed. Um, listen, we've got final three questions for you, which we ask all of our guests. Um, Harry, do you want to kick off number one? Yeah. So Esteban, what's got you excited at the moment? The future. Oh, <laughs> I'm intrigued. There's something going on, isn't there? Something happening in the background, mm. rallying perhaps. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Do you want to expand on the future at all? <laughs> we leave it for the next episode. Hmm. Oh. Because I'm sure, I'm sure you guys will 
invite me. Well, I hope you guys will invite me again. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I'll tell you what, need, when you... I need, I need to leave something there, you know, so that I can talk to <laughs> the next... Episode. Fair enough. Okay, Fair enough. What, when you announce whatever it is, is this is this future, uh, we'll be there if we can be there in this new world and we'll do we'll do a thing on it. That's the deal. Yeah, that's uh, a good idea. We'll, we'll meet up, face masks and all, and do it face to face. Great. Um, second question if if you weren't doing what you're doing what would you be doing I cannot think of anything I guess you'd be I mean it feels like I'm you'd really, be in the business I'm really, world I'm really enjoying and I'm loving what I'm doing so yeah yeah sorry I interrupted you no I was just saying it feels like if you weren't a racing driver perhaps you'd be involved in racing but like we said before you'd be doing something on the business side of things whether it's managing a team or team principal or something to do with business it feels like that's that's there burning away in the background yeah that in and you know i i really enjoy racing in many forms i enjoy being involved in many ways and obviously at the top of the list is as a racing driver it's i mean i love driving it's um I'm building up my positive vibe to driving, to racing. And I've been doing that in the last couple of years. And when, I, when I'll be back in a racing car, I will enjoy it so much because I've worked on it uh, very much. But there are many other aspects of, of racing that I'm enjoying as well. And, you know, exciting, exciting projects uh, going on at the moment. Mm, yes, can't wait to find out what they are. Um, okay, final one for your Esteban, and then we can uh, let you go. What are you scared of? Of spiders. Ah, one of those. Mm-hmm. I don't oh, mind them. You're one not the one. I have to tell you. Go on. Oh yeah. The the one thing that I am scared of is by failing when not doing it. What do you mean by that? So I prefer to expose myself to do something and fail than not to do it yeah. and just fail by default. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Always, wow, that, yeah. I'm always scared of that. Yeah. So I always push myself into the challenge. That's good. I th- I feel that like there's um, that and spiders. I feel like there's a there's a uh, a podcast we need to do with Esteban almost away from racing you know like this you can tell you've got this mindset this me- yeah. this sort of mentality where you're going to do something only if you can do it to the best of your ability and yes. you'll want to get like the football thing you said you know i'd, I'd like I, I if i gave it time i could be or i could get there i could be good at it you know it feels like you're you're that kind of driven individual i think it'd be quite interesting to delve deeper into your brain and see what's ticking away in there because it's uh it feels like there's a lot of passion and, and dedication in there that um perhaps um, people who watch motorsport casually don't necessarily know about so i, I can certainly feel a um esteban gutierrez podcast mark two coming on um but listen but, but, we have to plan it we have to now 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 you said it live so yeah no we'll, we'll definitely do it i think you know like i said we used to do these podcasts face to face and obviously you know coronavirus is has put the spoilers on that um but um i think once we're all back to some sort of normality which isn't far away i hope perhaps we can get together um and and have a deeper chat because um we could talk to you all night it's fascinating stuff um but thank you so much um for joining us this evening um we'll let you get on with your evening um and um hopefully we'll see you for round two very soon yes 
looking forward to that. And thank you so much for inviting me to be part of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and on Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile and interact with others and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.